Hi, I'm Ellen Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones. And we really do truly feel compassion. So come on, let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. Well, here we are again. Um, Robin and me. And um, yeah, no, I'm not Batman, by the way. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that one before. But well, we could be Robin and Batman. You see, this could turn. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you could be Batman after all. Well, there you go. Huh? <laughs> I think I won't be. I think I'll just be Robin and Ellen. Or Ellen. Oh. Yeah, we'll stick with that for now. I think anyway. we will. Yeah. Um, well, I said turn the thing on, and I said, "And how are you doing?" And Robin said, "I've got shingles." Ah! <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the face you're supposed to have when you've got shingles, is it? <laughs> oh, so we've started to talk about it because um, oh, my first thing was. Not what does the doctor say, but are you doing anything special about it? Because both of us, not that I'm anti-doctors or anything like that, and not, not Robin is, but it's sort of no. like not necessarily our first port of call. So what are you doing about it? Well, I started off kind of knowing I need to rest because I look at well-being as a process. And dis-ease is actually a part of that process. Yes. And when we go into dis-ease, when we have symptoms, to me, that's my body saying, ha, right, now I have the chance to let go of some of the stuff that you've been holding that hasn't been serving you. So I know that that part of the process requires rest. And it requires nurturing and nourishing and being gentle and listening to my body and all of these things. So that's what I did. And then I started to explore a little bit more what was going on. And the, I used the methods that I know that I share with people. So it's looking at the symptoms that I'm experiencing. What tissues are those in and what information do they hold for me? Mm -hmm. that can help me understand why I got here and how I can start to turn that around. Because basically the symptoms, the information they give me is how can I support myself better? Yes. How can I be more true to my true nature and live that? Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. 
and you plus also the, the the kind of eat healthy make sure that i'm getting good night's sleep all of that stuff and also you explored with somebody we both grew up with and that's louise hay and yep. it a long time ago, Louise wrote her book. Um, I actually got a chance to meet her to Mind, Body, Spirit in London oh, when wow. she first wrote the book. Um, lovely woman <clears throat> and great sense of humour, actually, which not everybody realised. Um, she was great fun and she was doing little workshops on in Mind, Body, Spirit, so went along and very, very connected woman. As oh, I'm sure she must nowadays. have been. And uh, one of the first people really to start thinking in that way outside the box is, you know, if you're ill, what is it telling you? Hmm. And I mean, I'm a gardener and you are too. And it, it's the same thing. You know, if you've got a particular sort of weed in your garden, hmm. what is that weed doing for the soil and the plants yeah. around it and telling yeah. you? that maybe you could help with. And many gardeners are doing that now, um, and it works, but it works just as well for us. And what does Louise, Louise Hay say? Because you've got it more pat than I have. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I'd kind of come to a conclusion along this line anyway, but it was the phrase she used particularly. She says, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Doesn't it just say it all? Yeah. And it's it's that situation that quite a lot of people find themselves in where they're just waiting for something to go wrong. Yeah. And living on tenterhooks, living from fear yeah. and tension in the body. And just um, what else does she say? Being sensitive. Yeah. And yeah. for anybody who knows anything about shingles. It's a very really highly sensitive skin, so pain and burning and itching and all of these lovely things. <laughs> very hot. I mean, it can be very, very hard to bear because there isn't anywhere that is okay. At least there can be that it can be that bad. Yeah, it depends on where it appears on the body, but also that in itself, not just the fact that I have shingles, but where yeah. tells gives me a lot of information that I can work with. Yes, it does. And that's really sort of important as well. You've just reminded me of something even older than Louise Hay. Um, and whether anybody else here re has read or reads Dorothy Sayers' books. Um, super writing and good plots, uh, their crime. Um, she was she was one of the women queens of crime um, before the Second World War. And she's her, her her main character is a bloke, um, and it was the usual sort of that time. Of the, he's the duke, and he's a bit uh, he's you know a bit wild and off the ball, and he's the second son, and la la la. So you know he's he's a posh bloke, um, and he is in love with this woman for years and years and years, and she won't have him for all sorts of reasons. And that's beautiful in the book, too, because she's actually into how people really do relate and how they actually do feel. And so that's really interesting. Anyway, they finally get married and, well, they get wed because it's a heart thing, not just a legal doodah. And they're on their honeymoon, which is also full of massive excitement, and they've gone off on their own. 
and they're sitting on this bench out in the countryside and he says how are you feeling you know how is it going for you and she says well actually it's very good in spite of all the mess we're in it's actually great and so he says well tell me about it and so she goes well I used to be that I would be sitting there watching all the minutes coming along one two three and as each one passes well that one didn't hurt so maybe the next one will be okay and I I've always remembered that because this is this tension again and I've been there and so he said well and now and she says no they just come along like this and it's fine and I'm not not worried about them and I'm happy mm. and it, it's like whoa but it's, it's those simplest of things isn't it and I mm. like to think of it like feeling at home within your own body absolutely I didn't years for years and years I didn't mm. and was just constantly had this watching out for what's going to happen next and this tension and this fear and that was where I was living from and that was my perspective on the world yeah but I also think of it in terms of the feeling comfortable and home within our own skin that kind of idea of you've been walking around all day in shoes that maybe aren't so comfortable and you get home and you take those shoes oh. off and maybe put on a beautiful pair of soft slippers or warm socks mm. and that uh, well your feet just kind of spread out and relax yes. and it's like oh, I can breathe now or like you've been out to dinner in your nice trousers or skirt or whatever and you have to breathe in so that it'll fit nicely and then you have your dinner and you think it fits even less nicely now and then you can go home and it's <laughs> 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 all about a dressing gown or something <laughs> it's all okay yeah. yeah yeah and just being able to be yourself without having to suck in the stomach or wear a mask or yeah. and be restrained in shoes absolutely and i mean I, you know yes i i used to wear four inch heels i could run in four inch heels when i was dancing um, i'm impressed yeah people who dance in shoes like that and that's called their dancing shoes Oof. well no I, I just ran in mine i was i didn't usually dance in them <laughs> but i was absolutely fine at the time in them and they haven't actually done any damage to my legs or feet. But um, now it's the thought of it. It's like, mm. ah! <laughs> <laughs> why did I do that? Um, well, I know why I did it and I liked it yeah. at the time. So it was it's okay. But it's the throwing off the shoes. I mean, just to walk barefoot, mm. you know. Yeah. Actually, at the moment, it's too cold outside and the grass is cold and wet and hot, damn near freezing. And, oh, no, I don't think I want to do that. But, you know, later on when it gets a bit warmer, and um, actually it was warm enough in February here. Yes, we've had ups and downs, haven't we? It's oh, typical yeah. UK weather. Yeah. We've got winter. We've got spring. No, we haven't. Yeah. So that was only a, like a little carrot. Absolutely. It's Not real spring. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and but it is lovely when you can just actually walk around barefoot and you can feel the grass and you can feel the earth and it's really nice and even you just feel the carpet it will do indoors and it's okay yeah. but it is about comfort in your body and being connected to your body and, and when you're talking about taking your shoes off the connection to the earth yeah yeah and that grounding and 
our mother, yeah. that we walk on our mother yeah. and all that she gives us and feeling that connection. It's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. Again, back into the, the gardening again and, and um I'm completely organic and all that sort of stuff. And that's what I help people do. But one of the ways I talk to people and say, well, you know, what? do I need to put some stuff on the lawn or do I need to put some stuff on the beds or what were the borders like or something like that? And so I say, well, you know, this is actually Mother, Mother Earth's skin that we're hoeing and plowing and digging and what, which is a bit sort of like, oh, and it's like well what does she want you know actually a nice spread i'm lucky because i've got you've got horses yourself but i've got a friend with this down the road and so she comes up with bags of horse manure for me and you just spread it around on the on the ground on the ground where you want to grow something or in the beds where things are growing and you can almost feel this oh it's like when you do you know you have a really great skin facial and your whole skin is like going oh and you can feel it when you're just putting this horse muck on and that's the whole that we often put stuff on our skins particularly as women we do there's so many out there and then potions and lotions and all sorts of things that you put on your skin but i learned years ago what's in some of those things that we just don't realize and all of the chemicals and the even this one of the simplest things mineral oil mm. it's in so many different lotions and makeup and all the rest of it but it's the second most drying thing for your skin second only to the sun yeah and anything we put on our skin where the molecules are small enough to go through the skin goes into our bloodstream faster than the food we eat Oh, yes. There are bodies. Obviously, the food we eat has to be broken down. But we just think, tend to think of we put food in. We don't tend to think of we're putting anything else in. But everything we clean our house with, everything we put on the garden, everything that we spray in the air or we put on our skin is going in. Yeah. And when they say about retinol and stuff that's in these preparations, sometimes if it's in there with mineral oil, it's not going to be able to go in because the mineral oil coats the skin. So it's about looking at what is natural, what works with our bodies. Like you say, the horse manure works with Mother Earth because it is so natural. And yeah, I've got a massive pile from my two horses here and people come from all over to take it's for their gardens yeah. and for their allotments. The same happens for Kim, and um, she's quite happy with that. I mean, she also um, grows quite a lot of her vegetables in there, not just squashes and things. You know, she had tomatoes and potatoes and all sorts of stuff. They just bung it straight in, and they were fabulous, totally fabulous. And people don't realise just what there is what goodness there is and how that goodness has actually come about because it's been you know the horses have eaten their grass um hay is dried grass so they've eaten that they processed it through their bodies and then it's come out the other end and it's actually got loads and loads of goodness in it from going through the horse that is now good for mother earth mm-hmm. And it's so much better than getting a load of chemicals that 
somebody thought up as a mix? Why do we humans think we can better nature? Ah, well, I do actually have an answer to that, which I think you probably share. Is some fool about 2,000 years ago, and probably not quite that long, decided to say that humans were top species and that God had created humans as the pinnacle of all creation. Oops, I think is my best answer to that. It's like, mm, well, actually. And since we got into science, we seem to think that that means our knowledge and our creativity is better than the natural. But we don't often realise the intensive farming methods and things that are used now to produce the food that we then eat mm. is depleting the soil. Yes. So there, and it's killing the bacteria that help the plants to take up the nutrients to give them to us. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not getting them. We're not. I mean, um, I do biodynamics as well as organic and I teach it as well. And that the biodynamic movement was started in 1924 by Rudolf Steiner, um, who actually at the time was a family friend. But I don't know anything about him. La, 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 la. I just happened to know that we knew him. Anyway, he thought it all up in 1924. And it happened because a load of German farmers came and said, you know, the soil's not happy. The soil's really depleted. There's a lot of stuff. We're not getting a really good, decent crop from it. It's not feeding our animals very well. It's not feeding us very well. What can we do about it? And the biodynamic preparations, which is what, what I use and what he put together, they're, they all sound like black magic to people, the way you make them. They're not. They're dead easy, actually. But they all mean combining something, and it's usually, well, I think it's pretty nearly all, well, half of the time it's animal manure, cow manure, with other things, natural things, herbs, um, even parts of animal body. And, again, it's this combination of things that makes it all work mm. and they've they started to use it and it's you do it almost like homeopathy is less is more so you just sort of take a ordinary household bucket of stuff and you take a paintbrush and you start flicking it around the garden and everybody thinks you're a complete lunatic and you just say yeah fine okay it's the moon and um <laughs> it, which is fine and in then it actually really works. And I've had people doing this for nearly 30 years now, and they all sort of say this difference. But it's again, it's about the depletion. We knew about depletion in 1924, mm. and we were starting to find ways around it. But because they didn't, it's very easy and cheap to make these preparations. Almost anybody can do it. Um, not quite all of them in your backyard if you're in a terrace house, but you can do some of them there. Um, so nobody's making any money out of it. Mm. Whereas, you know, ICI is making your grow more or whatever it is and is making money out of it. And that's something we've got to get over because it's just making, you know, there's so much rubbish going in. And, and it's taking us further and further away from our own natural wisdom yeah. and our own 
knowledge of what's available to us. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're foraging or you're making it in your backyard and flicking it with a paintbrush around your garden or whatever it is that you're doing, it takes away our own innate our, our trust of our own innate knowledge yes. and learning. And I've just been reading uh, Gabor Mate's The Myth of Normal. And in that, he has a section on childbirth and how medicalized it is now and how women's bodies are seen as things that, you know, a whole list of things that can go wrong mm -hmm. rather than Something this is one of the wrong. most natural things ever. Yeah. We have evolved to do this. Yeah. And... Although you know, medical intervention maybe supports some women who wouldn't otherwise be able to have children. So I'm, again, not saying anything against the doctors and the specialist knowledge that they have. But to keep that for those situations where it's necessary yeah. and to use more natural where we can. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take that away. Don't separate us from that. Don't disconnect us from who we are. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I so agree. I, I've I've never had children, never wanted to, but I know about it. And if I was going to, the thought of somebody, you know, me popping the baby, and then it not being brought immediately to breast before even the placenta comes out, you can do that. The tube's long enough, and and it's designed to stay exactly. In because it's still pumping oxygen, it's still pumping lots of goodies from mum. Yeah. The first milk is important, but that what the the placenta is giving oh. still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you need both. You've only just stopped being a fish, for goodness' sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> well, a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Depending on where you start the scale. But going back to talking about um, flicking with your paintbrush around the garden. Uh, there's a great movie, 2040, where an Australian decided to look forward ahead into the future and see what potential there was for positives. Mm -hmm. Because he, he has a daughter who will be 25, I think, in 2040. And he wanted to see what the world might look like for her, not the doom and gloom that mm -hmm. we get in the media, mm -hmm. but what potential positives are there that could create a beautiful world for the future and one of them was about eco-sustainable farming yeah and there are places where it's kind of being piloted i think currently are, so he yes, was there are i think he was projecting and some of the germany is one of the places that um right. doing it yeah okay so some of it was projection so it was this is what it might look like were we to do this. Yeah. But some of it, as I say, I think was following pilot schemes and showing how successful it's actually being mm -hmm. and how it's helping the land to heal. Mm -hmm. And I've also read The Salt Path. Do you know The Salt Path? Mm -hmm. The story of a woman and her husband, and he gets a diagnosis of a condition, I can't remember what it's called. But they discover that if he does what the doctors say and just rests and does nothing and takes medication he doesn't actually feel very well and the pains increase and his mobility is less but if he gets active then that supports him it's not always comfortable but as he works through it it gets easier and they then lose their house from a whole horrible situation which adds to their stress but they decide they love wild camping so they decide to walk 
the there's a salt path on the south coast mm-hmm. that takes them through various counties and some of it's actually quite arduous yeah. and they have a guidebook and following the guidebook the guy says oh you'll get from here to there in a day and it takes them like four days together or whatever <laughs> yeah. and they start off I, th- I think it's summer when they start and then they're still camping and it's getting into winter so plans have to change but it's just that they're out there living in the wild mm. and finding that it really helps him so then when they come to the end of that they're looking what, what do we do next mm. where do we go how do we have to make money we have to survive and somebody offers them a farm to come in and i think he's a specialist he knows about how to do these things mm. so they start doing this kind of work with this farm mm. So that's the second book. It's really interesting to have a read and see the alternatives that are there. It's not like we have to make things up. They're already there. Yeah. And it's all about thinking out of the box. And this stress thing, which we all have, and like Harriet's thing of, you know, each moment, well, that one didn't actually hurt, so maybe the next one will be all right. And your thing, you know, that, what what's my skin telling me what you know what can't I bear to touch what 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 do I need to let go out of it it's the same thing that we live in stress but again I'm going to go back on it must be my hobby horse for today you can tell me to shut up a bit. <laughs> um you know it's it makes people a lot of money if you buy lots of insurance against all the conceivable possibilities that might conceivably happen one day maybe yeah and of course including for your um your dog or your cat or your horses if you have those mm-hmm. as well and um people are making a whole ton of money out of that and yet do you actually need them and do you need to be afraid of that yeah. that's the thing that's the thing <laughs> yes that you is the need thing. to be afraid are you listening to me you need to be afraid and um you don't And we could look at the whole of the last three years. What was all the messaging that we've had over the last three years? And the wording that was used and all of the the phrasing and and how it made us look at things and look at other people. And you look at what we need as human beings. We need connection. We need closeness. We need safety. Yeah. That was all taken away. Mm. We would... So that's having a lasting effect that somebody I was talking to earlier today is saying it's only just starting to become apparent quite how much of an impact that had. Mm. And yeah. we're going to be experiencing that probably for many years to come. But how can we take back the ownership of who we are, it's our bodies? It's so important, isn't it? Because we we... We were told to fear and we were told that, you know, companionship, having your child or your husband beside you when you were giving birth to a baby in a hospital, goodness knows why, but anyway, you were, um, or anything. Yeah, even further separation. You must have it in a hospital, but now you have to have it alone in a hospital with just the medical staff. Yes, and yeah. you you actually would like some support there. You would be much better to have your support there. This is how it always used to be, that, you know, the family was around you and looking after you and 
the women who had done it before you knew what was going to happen. They knew it would help. I mean, I actually grew up in this in the 50s in a village uh, where this was this still happened. Oh, young Frida, you know, she's having a baby. Well, better get down there. You know, you come and help me then, mate. Yeah, all right then. And it would it would be okay. And worse, don't need the doctor, not unless I'd be really ill then. And but nowadays you're terrified. The worst thing you can do seems to the one thing you mustn't must try and hang on to is life. The worst thing that will happen to you is death. I'm going to be really controversial and difficult now. <laughs> because what is the one thing you can be absolutely 100% certain that will happen to you? I'm going to die. Yep. So am I. One day. Yep. At some point. I should be dead. Yeah. yeah. I know death is ahead of me. Yeah. I don't know lots of other things that are ahead of me, but I know that is. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen in between now and then. No. But yeah. it, it, it will happen. It yeah. Will. At some point. And somebody said, well, aren't you afraid of death? And I said, well, I hope it doesn't hurt this time around. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice just to go to sleep. Yeah, could I just go to sleep this time, you know? Do I really have to do anything more energetic than that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, people said, you're not afraid of dying. No, it's going to happen. What's the point of being afraid of something that is definitely going to happen? And asking as well, are you afraid of death, mm-hmm. being dead? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. And I believe that there is stuff beyond that. Yes, so do I. And that we are all energy and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It carries on. Good old Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even if that turns out for whatever reason not to be true, then I just cease to exist. And the ceasing of the existing might not be nice. Like you say, I'm not so enthused about the death process no (laughs) the being dead or or what that might entail i'm actually not not wanting to bring it any closer but i'm actually curious to see oh what 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 is there what is is on the other side i'm quite quite excited Um, do you uh, have have you okay start again um you, pre- you probably know what the word psychopomp means. No? I can have a guess. I'm not sure that I've come across it. Um, it basically means someone who leads you through death. And it's a, it's a medicine term all, way, all around the world, not that one. They, it really has their own language. Yeah, I know. Is that like a doula, a death doula? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I would know. And um, it's part of what I am, which is Awena, spirit keeper. Um, And there are people who we've all heard of journeying and we've probably lots of us have been on journeys and things like that. And you do, you know, when you go on a journey, you actually do go somewhere and you have experiences and you are able to bring them back with the help of whoever's looking after you. And when you go to sleep at night, you dream. And quite often they're very lucid. And we do go places and we do know things and we dream things that either have been true or come true and things we didn't know. So you're passing into this energy world every night. 
And I'm Irish, and we talk about the veil. And when well, the veil thins, aren't we? Aren't we? Because there is. We've all had experiences that we can't explain in a normal, rational way, and that somehow mean there is a connection across something else that we don't actually know. Um, I, I have a lot of connection with very cutting edge science, physics, and that kind of stuff. When you talk to people who really are on the cutting edge, they know this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not going to talk about it on, you know, the BBC's latest science programme because everybody will <laughs> laugh at them and they'll probably lose their job and their mortgage and their kids yeah. and all the rest of it. <laughs> so they're not going to talk about it. But they do when they get to know you. And there are so many things that they don't understand. Yet. And that's what they say. Mm. We don't know the answer yet. And but maybe it's... I'm looking for it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's similar to what we talked about before we went live about remembering. Yeah. So we don't know it now in this physical form, but I believe that, like you talked about medicine, so medicine men, medicine women, wise men, wise women, Mm -hmm. they did. They knew a lot of this stuff, but when science came along, it poo-pooed it and said, well, you can't prove that, therefore it's not true. Well, they said you can't prove that. Therefore, it's not true, which I think is even worse. <laughs> when you People get just dismiss to... your knowledge. Yes, yes, it's superstition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. And so I think that that has a lot to answer for the sort of science era. Science is now catching up, and I think it's it's coming back around, and it's yeah. starting to say, well, actually, the thing that you said, uh, yeah. It is true. And we now can collect facts or whatever that support what you're saying. It's just such a shame that for so long you either burnt people at the stake or dismissed them or whatever. Yeah. And there is still too much of a what is taught in schools is not that, well, the answer, you know, gravity always does this you know gravity you're always going to fall down oh i must tell you this you'll love this story um professor eric lacewaite super scientist invented the linear motor um which is the thing the japanese high-speed train hasn't any wheels runs on and all that kind of amazing bloke and he i think he came from lancashire and he talked like this and he called matter stuff (laughs) <laughs> and I've been to lectures with him and I've, I've spoken to him and he he's, he knows his stuff so well that he can talk to, to me who doesn't even have any maths and understands me, I understand him. Anyway, we're at this lecture and um, and he started it the way in a way that he apparently often does. And he took some he took a coin or something out of his pocket and he was dropping it from hand to hand like this. And he says, I do this when I talk to kids in school. So I like talking to kids. I don't like the teachers much, but I like talking to the kids. They're fun. <laughs> he says, sooner or later, so don't say anything. I just keep dropping the coins, you know. And he says, sooner or later, some little tyke at the back says, hey, mister, what are you dropping them coins for? And he said, and he said I'll stop. I say, because one day I'm hoping they'll go up. <laughs> 
And that, you know, one he, super scientist type, is hoping that one day gravity will go wrong. <laughs> and it's like, wow, what would happen? What can we do if this happens? And that is what I've experienced a lot. But you don't get it on TV. You, mm. you don't get that kind of thing. You get this sort of like, you know, the world's all going to end up in dark and cold and entropy and horrible, which actually doesn't make sense when you actually look at some really deep physics. It doesn't because um, neutron stars implode and then explode again, and that's how we get gold and all the precious metals. So how do they get cold and where there isn't any energy, somehow they manage to explode again? Um yeah they can't answer that one and because they can't answer it they don't want to but this remembering putting it back in your body and if you've got the want desire dare if you like to think out of the box it happens and the curiosity and i think it's it's having that openness and i was also reading brene brown's braving the wilderness mm. knowing that we can step out into that not knowing yeah and embrace the not knowing yeah. and if i can't explain why gravity works or if the coins might go upwards and what we would do then that's okay yeah but i don't have to say well you're wrong the coin will never go upwards or you know that is that is it. That is not a pr accepted knowledge. Therefore, I'm going to shut that out. Mm. Yeah. But if instead I could go, gosh, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah. When, in what situations might that happen? And what, the, the eternal what if? Yeah, what would it allow us to do? What? How could we create that? You know, wow, could I just jump up and down and then I could go to Jupiter on my own? <laughs> okay. might need an oxygen mask yeah, i might well do yeah you're quite right and a big oxygen tank um <laughs> but it's like and and it's this, yeah the impossible and there's an old phrase that i'm sure you know you know the difficult we do while you wait the impossible takes a little longer yeah yeah and impossible says it i'm possible it does yeah yeah and it's that thing we've talked about before about allowing the messiness Yes. Allowing the chaos of not knowing. Yes. Without saying, well, it can't be, because that shuts off all the possibilities. Yeah, it does. Because we can't know it all, can we? Not okay. certainly in this lifetime. And in some ways, possibly it might be a little dull if we did. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> and I think when I, I even as I said that, I thought, actually, on some level, we probably do. Yes, we do. Yeah. If you think of yeah. our inner knowing and the holographic concept, yeah. which scientists are beginning to come on to now, yeah. or maybe not beginning, but my awareness of them yeah. is still at an early stage of what they're doing, but that everything is within everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it is. I mean, uh, I've just been... Um, <laughs> Uh, 
one of my students is um she's deeply into astrophysics and quantum she doesn't know much about it but she absolutely adores it mm-hmm. and she tries to know and one of the principles of the things that i teach which I, i'm sure you'll feel is we don't live in an either or universe we live in an and and universe and that is actually very much supported by um i'm only going to remember one of these guys names a couple of mathematicians Uh, one is george bull who was 1800 and spelling mistake in british and he did the and or um principles which enable computing and the other is um the what I can think of now is the infinite improbability drive. And it is like that. <laughs> um, it's the, um, you can't tell any, you can't find the answer to any problem in only the discipline you're in. You have to bring in something else, incompleteness theorem, Kurt Gödel. And so husband knows all about these people because you know there's a there's a bookcase by the toilet in the, in the loo full of higher science so if he needs to he can sit there and read it um joke not really um but he knows these things and i know them from telling him so i sort of said to kim ask paul and he actually can talk about it in simple language but she said these guys know this these guys realize what my body is telling me Mm. that I can't just back to the shingles again. I can't just do this by one thing. I mean, you were talking about rest. You were talking about one, what am I trying to let go of? What am I trying to release through my skin? And you were talking about, you know, I need to eat differently and this sort of thing. So none of that was just one thing. No. And I've been exploring essential oils and herbs just anything that kind of feels, oh, I'd like to give that a go. Yeah. And I'd like to try that. Yeah. You know, anything I feel drawn to. Yes. And I remember a while ago, my mum has donkeys and they had room one. And she was throwing everything at it. And my mum is very experienced with um, massage and uh, essential oils and all sorts. Uh, she uses homeopathy and batch flower remedies and all these things. So she was throwing all of that. And these donkeys, anything that felt right, she was following that gut instinct. And people were saying, but you won't know what gets them better. She said, doesn't matter if they're better, they're better. Why do I need to? (laughs) And also, like you say, and kind of linking back to what you were talking about earlier, maybe it isn't the one thing, you know, you're talking about the gardening as well in making up that concoction, that potion. It's not the one thing or any of the one things in isolation or even the the putting them together. It's the extra that you get through the synergy and the combination. So if you were to do, right, I'm going to do the Kaimak now and then I'm going to do this herb and then I'm going to do that herb, each one separately, mm-hmm. it might not have the same impact as the fact that you have put them together and then they work in partnership and synergy and they bring something else so the sum is more than or the total is more than some of the parts i can never remember what that quote is properly yeah yeah i know the, the whole is more than the sum of the parts Got that's it. the one right. yeah, yeah 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 so there's that and i think we might have talked before about hawthorne and mm-hmm. how german scientists are trying to isolate the component in hawthorne that is so effective 
And every time they think they've got it, they do a test and it's not yeah. because it's the synergy. Yeah. And also in having that synergy, it's supporting yeah. the organism yeah. to heal. So there aren't the side effects that we often get when you just use an isolated yeah. component that's yeah. just a part of the whole. I, I, I'm just so into that. And it's so, it's what nature does. Nature uses sun and air and water and soil and little bugs and minerals and bees yeah. to pollinate and just to grow a plant. And I mean, I've only mentioned a few of the things. There was no, love, no silver bullet. <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about the bugs. Yeah. Because that's the microbes as well as the yes. crawly type bugs, but yes. the microbes. And the microbes are doing the same for us. Yes. I was I had a webinar earlier today that was talking about germ theory versus terrain theory and how germ theory teaches us that these microbes cause disease. Mm. Whereas for me, they don't. They actually help us to heal because disease symptoms is detoxing. Yeah. And the microbes are supporting us to do that. Obviously, we want to keep it below any threshold that's going to be dangerous and life-threatening. Mm. But there are ways that we can do that too. But it's to understand, which was huge for me because I used to be practically OCD about fear of microbes and getting sick and don't touch that and wash your hands and all of this stuff like we were over the last three years or being taught to be. But to realize those microbes are your allies. Yeah. They're helping your body to either detox, get rid of stuff or to rebuild once it's done that. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be afraid of them. We've evolved alongside of them. We have, I was telling this person about the book One in Ten, mm. that only 10% of what I think is me is actually genetically me. Yeah, exactly. The 90% is microbes. Yeah, yeah. And that they're in my skin, in my gut, they're helping me to stay healthy when my terrain is healthy and if my terrain is not healthy they help me to clear things out and to get back to that balance and well-being and the one thing that we mustn't do is bump them off no because we we, we will tend to you know it's sort of like you're going to get the glyphosate and spray it all over the garden and then wonder why you don't have any plants yeah because it does it's not specific is it it's not targeted it just it's like if you have well the cancer drugs are getting better mm. but they are cytotoxic yeah. and they kill cells they don't kill cancer cells they kill cells yes and that, that's what the, and they try to put them in the only place where they'll kill them are the cancer cells but it doesn't always work no and because it... our cells are part of our body we have, have circulation we have lymph yeah. things move around in there and very, very, very basically, cancer tumours occur because cells forget how to die back to death again. And so they keep on growing and growing and growing and reproducing and reproducing and reproducing. So where might be more useful to go and I don't, I'm going on this with the, with you and the shingles again is like, why what has made them forget why have they forgotten to die what has happened to them that makes them forget to die absolutely that would be 
what I do in my work, help people to understand why does your body feel it needs more of these cells mm -hmm. and why are they not having a natural life cycle, i.e., like you say, they're not dying when yeah. they should be. Yeah, yeah. When it's their time, because it comes to all of us. And possibly, well, I find it a lot of people don't realise, but we... We all either vacuum our house or we're lucky enough to have, like me, uh, someone who vacuums my house for me. Um, that's partly because I'm really bad at vacuuming anything. But what we vacuum up, all this dust that we vacuum up, probably 80, maybe even 90% of it is dead skin cells from us. Yes. And your skin lives, what, possibly six weeks and often not as long as that, and you're shedding it all the time. Constantly. And growing new cells underneath. And the same actually happens with bone cells and things as well. Um, it just takes longer. So these cells have got it right. So what we're giving our bodies from, you know, the natural food that we're eating and not too much processing and all this sort of stuff is – our cells are saying, this is fine, we can do this, we can do our job, we can go and live and die and, and then turn to dust and then come back, probably as a bit of cabbage to be re-eaten again. <laughs> and, um, well, it does. <laughs> you know, we're not getting new matter to make anything. It's all going round Earth the whole time. We're, we're a, a, a system. Earth is the great recycler. Absolutely. Everything that we've got, apart from the odd bits that come in on meteorites, has already been here for four and a half billion years. It's part of those original atoms that all came together into Mother Earth. <laughs> and if when we're getting it right, we're putting the right stuff in, then the things cycle. Yeah. But when and our terrain is healthy and it all is in balance. We are our land. Terrain yeah. meaning land in that sense. Yeah, we are. And we are our soil. We are. And we can then tend that soil or not. And we can be the plants and the animals and everything in that world, little universe that is us. Mm. Don't get your egos going on that, guys. Um, <laughs> but we can tend it and look after it. When we start putting the wrong things on, we were saying earlier about soil getting depleted because of putting too much of the wrong stuff on it. And when we do that to ourselves, then our bodies complain and shout and try desperately hard to make us realise that we're doing something wrong so we at least stop and possibly even listen to body, as you are, and um, say, well, this is what I need. Well, maybe I just need to do that. And you were saying, and I loved it, I just do what feels right to me. But for me, yeah, I, I like I do that too. But that's your guts in talking. That's your intuition talking. It's, and it's, sorry, it's not your intuition. It's your instincts talking. But unfortunately, we've been taken away from that, haven't we? Well, the only thing you've got is this, isn't it? All the rest is woo-woo. We're taught this is the thing to listen to. This is the thing that makes sense. Whereas in actual fact, it's the smallest brain that we've got. The, the It's got the least activity going on in it. The heart brain has much more. The gut brain is bigger. Mm. So that 
is where our intelligence really comes from. The, the head brain has a role to play. Absolutely. Try and drive a car in. without one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? I'm oh, going to no. drive today yeah, with my head brain. <laughs> So yes, obviously the three of them are designed, it's like everything else, they're designed to work in synergy, they're designed to work together and in balance. But we've lost that balance because we've cut ourselves off from the neck down quite often. And certainly in schools when I was growing up, I think it's starting to change in some places now. But we weren't taught about feelings, emotions, trusting your gut. We were taught to do what we were told, follow the facts and figures, learn something that somebody else had decided was the right thing to be taught, not necessarily what was right for any individual because we're all so unique. And there we were, kind of like the sausage factory. Yeah, reproducing, reproducing the same old sausage on and on and on. And it's no good at all. And as far as poor intuition goes, I mean, that's all magic and superstition and woo-woo, isn't it? Well, I was reading um, uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, mm-hmm. Women Who Run With the Wolves. Yeah, I didn't get very far. I find it quite a challenging read. Mm. But every it was like, read a page. Oh, I need a whole month to go and process this. <laughs> read another page. I need another month to go and process this. But she talks about old myths and yes how those actually truly apply Mm. and things like our intuition and what that those myths hold so much wisdom for us but we prettified them and um made them more hygienic sort of thing and disnified them and all of that and they lost they're not like the original Brothers Grimm or any of those oh, no, tales. Those, were, those are real. <laughs> but yeah. they are educational tales. Yes. And kids actually like a bit of, ooh, scary stuff. They do. We go through an age when we like that and even a bit of blood and gore. And mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that we should be watching horror movies or making kids watch but 18 on, movies or any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> but there is a place for these cautionary tales. Yeah. And there's also more than that because what happened, I, this is really into me stuff because I've followed our own British myths um, for years and years and years. I, I started working, well, my dad told me all the stories because he was a storyteller. Um, and then I started working 40-odd years ago with Kathleen Matthews. Um, who is quite a scholar on the tales, and we would share a lot of tales across and with comments on them and that sort of thing. And they've been made to fit whatever society was going on. I mean, there's the black dog tales that are very prevalent. I mean, we've got a wonderful black dog tale here in Shropshire. Uh, there's a lot of them over in East Anglia. Um, there's they're all over and they're usually that's horrible that's that's a creature who's going to kill you it's death and actually really it's the devil and so anything that's been a little bit cautionary in the real term has been demonized devilized yeah you see one of those it's going to get you the black We're back dog. to the fear again, aren't we? We are. Well, fear is the best way of controlling people, isn't it? Yeah. 
So yeah. Versus the healthy cautionary learn a lesson from is just be afraid and there's nothing you can do other than maybe turn to the church or turn to medical knowledge, <clears throat> turn to an institution and yeah. that will save you mm -hmm. rather than be aware, be cautious, be conscious, which is what Clarissa Pincolos says is saying, mm -hmm. that it's to teach us about our own wisdom. It is. The other takes us away and gives makes us pushes us into giving our power to the, the old stories if you dig right back to them and i think I mean, i've got friends in australia who've been doing the same thing with their old stories and um the thing that usually happens is you you meet the black dog and you don't go down on your knees and start praying or run like hell or whatever you talk to the dog hello who are you? And what are you doing here? Why are you here for me? What have you got for me? And that is the question in all of the stories. Because this scary thing has something for you. If only you will stop and listen. And, and be curious. It brings us back to the curiosity and does, the openness. But it's and, also the dare. You know, having the chutzpah to ask that question yeah, yeah. And, and to receive the answer and the old stories when you were told them and you know i got this because there are a lot of stories tell us around where i used to live and the old people you, people would tell you and some of the middle-aged people would tell you the story and they say no you remember that when you see something It'll scare the shit out of you, darling. But don't you worry about that. You hang on and you ask because they will always have a gift. And you were always educated that everything that came to you has a gift. And then you start trying it out for yourself because you have some kind of experience or dream or whatever. And you find it's bloody true. <laughs> That that's lovely because it was it'll scare the shit out of you. Exactly. But it has a gift. It's not it's death, it's the devil, be afraid. Yeah. But it was, yes, it's gonna be scary, but it's okay. Yeah. If you stay curious and you stay open, you will get what you need yeah. from that encounter. And it also comes back to your shingles yet again. Mm. Because um, we all used to be able to say shit in the village that I grew up, and we did not have to say poo, <laughs> which I can't do anyway. And they'd say, yes, it will scare the shit out of you. And once that shit's gone, you're empty and you're able to listen. You're not full of stuff you're hanging on to. Mm. And this whole thing of don't hang on to something. Was if it's not serving you, let it go. And if if you don't realise that, then something like the black dog will come along and say, out! You know, you need a quick enema. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea, though, that that's one part of the gift of the dog. Yes. The black dog, that it comes actually to rid you of the shit you've been holding. 
because it scares you enough. And Brene Brown says that you get to a certain point in life and life comes along, takes you by the shoulders, gives you a good old shake and says, wake up. Yes. You are, as you, we were talking about earlier, you are going to die. And at this point in your life, you are probably more than halfway there. Yep. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to do what you did with the first half or are you going to start taking action and making this the life that you want to live, not the life that you feel you've been given, which might not suit you? Or that everybody tells you you ought to be living. Yeah, the shoulds. And the oughts. Yes, drop them like a hot potato. (laughs) Yeah, we need a bit of black dog for that. We Get rid of that shit. We certainly do. But... I think that's so important. I and mean, people like um, Piccolo Estes have brought it to people's attention. And there are so many ways of bringing this whole thing that these old stories, they're not there to kill you, murder you, and that, or tell you off, or they're not punishing stories or anything like that. They're saying, wake up. Got a gift for you. Wake up. Or as Brene Brown would say, come on. Join me out in the wilderness and discover that actually you are the wilderness. It's like that thing about don't be afraid of the storm. You are the storm. You are that power. And you are. We've all got the wild inside, which I help people with with my badassery because badassery is wild and it's also very unselfish and caring and all that kind of thing. But it's wild. And you can be wild. Yeah. Is that our moment? I think that sounds like a good point. I think it is. So come and be the wilderness. Be the storm. Be wild. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing, and that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun, full of badass reality, and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun, and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website, www.ellensentier.com, sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires.